Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast. I am your host, Brian Castle, and with me, as always, is the amazing co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris is the Director of Development, and I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors. Our promise with this show is to share the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from so you can make money quickly and easily by investing. Each episode will detail the most important market updates and how best to benefit from them. And we will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting markets and other investment opportunities. So to maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com to download, quote, 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals, unquote. Trust us, this free gift will be your cheat sheet for reaching your financial goals in the shortest possible time. And to see all the best and most valuable moments from this episode, please go to Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, let's see what's happening in the financial markets. Welcome, everybody, back to the Four Star Podcast. We have our Christmas podcast episode today. I'm Brian Castle. I'm here. Uh, Chris Reardon. Chris Reardon is here. Chris? Hey, Brian. Glad to be here. Glad to talk a little about the markets. Excellent. Well, and Chris is our four-star director of development, master of all things portfolio, loves his Cleveland Indians, and uh, he has a golden doodle puppy named Hudson, but most important, he has a new Reardon, Avery. <laughs> yes, he's uh, growing almost four months now. It's crazy. Time flies. Hey, getting some sleep. How about that? <laughs> so, wow. um, and I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO uh, of Four Star Wealth, Eagle Scout, trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, philanthropic advisor, uh, CEO and insider advisor, and chief dad to Quinn and Evan, and husband to the amazing Tripti. And again, if you like uh, folks what you're hearing, uh, please uh, smash the like button, as they say, and give us a five out of five ranking on Apple iTunes where they allow those rankings. Uh, Chris and I are going to do the intro to the markets, uh, the economy, and then what we see out there. So why don't we start with that, Chris? Um, what's happened in the uh, tally scores between different asset classes in the market since our last podcast? Yeah, I think surprisingly, not a whole lot, really. Uh, domestic equities is the only mover uh, since the last podcast. It moved down one point, but still remains in the number one position at 319. Uh, so it okay. lost one point from the last podcast. Commodities held the two position, 266 unchanged from last podcast. Uh, international, international equities held the third position at 210 unchanged. Uh, fixed income in fourth at 127 unchanged. Uh, cash in fifth at 103 unchanged. Uh, and still in last currencies at 57 tally points. And uh, that's unchanged. So, you know, I think some people might, we've had a lot of volatility over the last couple of weeks. Some people might be surprised, but I think the key here is, is a lot of this is, is relative. So even if we've had a lot of choppiness in the domestic equities markets, a lot of that has spilled over into the commodities and even, and even international equities uh, markets. So um, overall, I don't think we've seen enough movement to really have any major uh, rotations or, or uh, gains and losses uh, from, from the uh, individual um, parts of the economy and, and markets. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time because while we're not seeing much change in the relationship between different groups, Chris, we're seeing a lot of weird churning going on underneath the surface, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's a, obviously that's what we're feeling. Um, we're seeing it in energy. 
consumer discretionary spending. We're seeing it kind of all over the place, but on, at a high level, uh, not a whole lot's really changing at a, at a very high level, which is what's being indicated here. Yes. Well, and Bitcoin had a very, very wild weekend, started at 69,000 per unit, went down to 42,000. Now it's back up, but it's been super volatile. And Chris, one of the facts that I found out this week that since Bitcoin has made its parabolic move, 55% of the people that are owners of Bitcoin today got in just this year. So that'll show you the hands are weak. Uh, all, the, all the buyers are new and they're deciding whether they're gonna be in or out and that's what's creating all this volatility. So that's some of the volatility that we're seeing below the sounds, surface. Sounds a lot like a uh, speculative asset. Yeah, absolutely. And then also we've talked in the past about the IPO markets and you know, generally IPOs, while they get lots of headlines and lots of excitement and you can buy an IPO and it's an exciting win that day, it's up 20% or 50%. And during the tech boom, some of the IPOs were up even more than that. The initial public offerings generally don't perform that well over time. They're risky, small companies usually. And um, many of them are below their pricing this year uh, about 60%, over half of the IPOs are below their pricing. Uh, Compass Real Estate is a good example of that, real estate brokerage. The model really doesn't work for Compass and the market's starting to figure that out, but the big IPO sellers managed to convince the, the, the buyers of IPOs to buy it. A big part of their growth is based on personal contracts that haven't really come. And so there's a lot of issues now under the surface. So in an IPO mania, companies like that will come public without a lot of real great fundamentals behind it, but, but it's a greater fool theory. Um, you will hope to buy it, that someone will buy it for more than you later and you can get out before it goes down. And that's why IPOs generally um, aren't great performers. There are some that come out and then they're great, but the, obviously, and the ones that survive are the companies of the future, but many of them don't even survive. So we'll see, that's what's going on there. Um, you know, Chris, um, one interesting aspect of this market, however, while the S&P 500 is up 20, over 20%, uh, it's down now, but it was up to as much as 25% uh, for the year, the average stock is only up about 2%, uh, similar to uh, 1999, when the NASDAQ was up 80% and the average stock was, was barely up and the average NASDAQ stock was down for the year. Uh, the average investor, is only up about 5% with that same thing with the S&P up 20%. So many investors are frustrated this year. They, and as we all know, investors often take the one-year view of decision-making and they think whatever's happened in the last year will either continue to happen or uh, they will make decisions based on whatever happened in the last year. Um, although in the perspective of a long portfolio growth, 15, 20, 25 years, one year is not material, but yet we make decisions about our portfolio based on a one year, they call it a recency bias. We tend to believe what's happened is gonna happen again. And so, yes, there are things that can be done to your portfolio if you're only up in the mid single digits or low double digits and you know underperforming the market. Um, but um, your advisor should be talking to you about those suggestions. Um, and tinkering around the edges. There's different programs and different um, corporate credit programs and all kinds of different things where you can get a better return than two or 5%. But um, if they're not talking to you about that, then maybe you have the wrong advisor. 
what we find is many advisors in this market are not really practitioners of the markets. And when things get complicated, like they have this year, they don't really have good solutions. So if your advisor is not talking to you about what to do better, if you're underperforming, then you probably have the wrong advisor. So uh, we would offer that. And well, that's one thing Four Star prides it's on is making make itself on is making sure that there's opportunities presented at all times and, and that we're not sitting in stuff that's not working. So um, anyway, you know, many investors will end the year underperforming and maybe they outperformed last year. And so maybe for a two year period of time that they're uh, in line with markets or something like that. But Chris, isn't the S&P rather speculative at this point? where so much of it has been dominated by certain groups? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you could look at the FANGs and Tesla and, and a couple uh, really high flyers. And, you know, the 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 um, percentage they make up of the S&P now is, is quite ridiculous, I would say, you know, upwards of 30 or 40% um, in these high flying stocks. And it's not, you know, I would say not, um, you know, good. Uh, you wouldn't be a good financial advisor if you put your clients in thirty or forty percent of their their um, portfolios in these extremely high flying stocks. As Leslie learned in 01, uh, 2001, during the tech crash, that eventually it's going to come down. Um, there is a lot of risk there, so uh, it is very frustrating, I think, for uh, for clients because unless you're going to put it all in, unless you're going to put it all in um, Tesla and roll the dice. Um, you're going to probably lag. And even a well-diversified portfolio that has bonds or has um, more value-oriented stocks that may may not perform as well either, um, you're going to lag even more. So, you know, I think the five or six percent uh, for four or five percent that, that that investors are earning this year, it is going to lag. Uh, but I think we are, you know, we don't know when it's going to come back down, uh, but we will see, you know, some of the, the speculative bubble, if you will, on some stocks uh, pull back probably in the next year or two, uh, but we don't know for sure. Yes, it's an interesting market for sure. And right now, Chris, the, the numbers you were alluding to uh, between technology and communications, those two sectors make up over 50% of the S&P 500. And um, back in 1999, technology got up to in the mid 40s percent of the S&P 500. Then of course, by the end of the technology crash, it was less than half that. And the S&P went down 55% from top to bottom. Now we're not predicting the beginning of a, of a downturn because it looks like things are, are heading upward. So we could see the markets continues to slowly rise, but a lot of churn in the groups under the, under the cover. And that's what we've seen this year. So we could see technology stocks and communication stocks slow down, but yet other groups outperform and then the, the averages slowly rise anyway with a lot of activity under the, under the hood. And that's what we've seen this year that will may continue for a number of years. Um, and, and right now with stock buybacks at record levels, uh, companies have the cash and they're buying lots of stock that helps support these prices at these levels as people get in and out of different uh, groups and different stocks, the, the, the companies are buying those stocks and supporting the price. Yep, exactly. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I definitely not, I don't expect it to be anytime soon. But like you said, you know, there are certain stocks and certain underlying sectors, I think, that are due for, for a bit of a pullback. And we'll probably see other sectors run uh, that haven't run yet. So we'll see a little bit of a rotation, if you will, um, like our models do. Well, and likewise, there are many major stocks that are down for the year. NVIDIA 
which is the graphic chips company is down, Peloton, uh, the, the uh, exercise bike and, and, and program company, Uber stock is down, Disney stock is down. So those stocks might be bargains here. And we're on today, the 17th of December. So we're right near the end of the year. And any stock that's down in a big up year, um, many of those stocks will go lower in the next week or two. And they may be bottom in about a week with all the selling pressure just before Christmas. And then these may be opportunities for people who are looking to buy stocks that are now cheap that were used as the tax loss selling stocks. Um, and if you haven't done any tax loss selling or any, any mining of the losses to minimize the tax impl implications of your gains, um, this is the next week or two to do that, obviously, because you have to do it before 1231. So those stocks are gonna probably bottom here, unfortunately, at the same time you're selling them and they'll probably rise in January. So there's a whole set of investors that do the, do the uh, tax effect where they start buying these stocks that are down right around now and selling them in late January and they get a little pop. So uh, that's another old interesting strategy. So very interesting markets, Chris. Uh, we tried to explain some of what's going on, uh, but it's very complicated and people are a little frustrated this year, uh, I'd say. Um, why, don't we, why don't we turn to the economy? Um, Chris, uh, the CPI and the PPI are up strongly this year, right? Yeah, so um, some of the latest, um, I would say inflation gauges um, came out, CPI rose 6.8% in November year over year, which is the uh, eight, the sixth straight month that inflation topped 5%. Uh, so we are still in a very high inflationary environment. Um, and B, I think um, the core price index, which is kind of the underlying that excludes food and energy, uh, rose 4.9%. So it's still the majority of it is even up extremely high with excluding some of the very volatile categories such as food and energy. So uh, we still are in a very high inflationary environment. Uh, some of the major drivers of that uh, CPI consumer price index was new vehicles. Uh, they came in at an, uh, were 11.1% of that November number. Uh, and then prices for at fast food restaurants were up 7.9% uh, uh, for that number. So, um, and then underlying, I would say going back the producer's price index, which is you can imagine kind of the, um, the raw materials that go into that and are usually a kind of a leading indicator of where uh, the CPI will end up. Uh, that rose 9.6% in November year over year. Um, and the core producers price index was up 7.7% uh, year over year, which was the highest on record actually. So most likely we're not gonna see this inflation let up. It'll most likely accelerate actually um, in the next couple months with what this is showing us. Um, so don't expect to see um, some of this slow down, but um, definitely very high numbers from an inflation standpoint. And, you know, as it's right now, it doesn't seem to be transitory because it's been going on for, um, you know, six months now. So a high PPI leads, uh, PPI above the CPI leads to a higher CPI, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you know, usually we, that's what we see is a high a producer's price index. You know, if you are having to pay more for goods, you're going to have to raise the end, the end result of what your good costs, correct? You don't want to, no business goes into business to buy, you know, all these different good uh, materials packaged together and then sell it for something that's going to lose them money. So they'll pass those, those prices on to um, higher prices on to the consumer. Absolutely. Well, and the Federal Reserve, Chris, is in a bit of a box, right? And as you mentioned, 
uh, the uh, inflation isn't really transitory anymore, but the Fed was using that language and saying it was transitory, but it's over a year. And as we checked on a recent podcast, the definition of transitory would be less than a year. So it's over a year. It's not credible to say it's transitory anymore because it's not. So the Fed, uh, since it doesn't pass the laugh test anymore, <laughs> to say it's transitory uh, is now not using that language anymore. They're saying inflation is here. They're trying to stamp out inflation. Um, and what do we do about it? So number two, um, one issue is the spending, Chris, is now not really helpful to the economy, uh, yet the current administration keeps pushing for more and more spending. And uh, there's, there's pretty, pretty widely regarded view among most economists that the six trillion or so that we've authorized to spend up till now, plus all the money that's been put into the banks, seven to eight trillion, that's been liquefied into the banks is causing uh, this inflation. So adding more spending really wouldn't help. It would, it, would, it would make it worse. And a lot of the money that's been authorized is set to come out over the next few years. So that'll keep inflation high. Um, the claim, uh, you know, the last $1 trillion bill was only for infrastructure and it would go into the ground, but really only 20% of that was for infrastructure. So a lot of that spending is gonna come down and it was all done on debt and not paid for, which is another big issue that we have too much debt that we're piling up. So, so we really need, I think, to stop the, the spending. Um, yeah. At one point I'll make on that. I mean, I think, um, interestingly enough, um, obviously it's been in the news a lot, Joe Manchin, uh, the Democrat from West Virginia, you know, I think that's been one of his biggest sticking issues and holding back this build, build back better plan, I, if I can even say it, um, and, and the other thing is some of the tricks being played into it where, you know, they're putting programs in there that run for one year uh, when realistically they're, once you implement something like that, it's very hard to unimplement it. Uh, so they'll most likely go, you know, 10 years plus for, for, for the life of it. So the actual cost is, is, is very high. So it, it's going to be tough, I think, to get it through, which may be a positive and may actually end up in the end helping the current administration, because I think if it does get put through, uh, like you said, Brian, we're going to see uh, it only accelerate this inflationary number. It is. So because of that, now the Federal Reserve in the most recent discussion this week on Wednesday said they want to, they want to raise rates and they might raise it rather quickly. They're talking about three near-term interest rate rises. They didn't raise rates in the December meeting, but they're planning to raise them coming into this year. So if the spending continues causing inflation, plus all the spending that's already in the can and ready to come out, then if they're raising rates, they're gonna be slowing down the economy, but yet inflation will keep going up. So um, we've all heard the term stagflation. So that would be stagnant economy um, with inflation at the same time. So if the Fed does choke, does try to slow down the inflation that will also slow down growth. Now at the beginning of an economic recovery, interest rates rising is a normal phenomenon but is demand-driven effect uh, where um, there's such demand for money uh, that rates will rise. Now, the Fed might raise rates on the short end, but they don't control the long end of rates. But by raising the short end rates, they'll still put pressure on the economy. And eventually, the economy could start to slow as we get to the end of that rate rise. But yet, if the money's still flowing into the economy, we have inflation. So clearly, that's not working. Um, and that would get us to a point of more stagflation, Chris, wouldn't you think? Yeah, no, and then I think a good, you know, we actually have a proper example to a degree 
of what of what that would maybe look like in Turkey right now. Uh, Turkey's currency, the lira, has depreciated, I think, 50 or 40 something percent. I think it was 41 last I saw, 41 percent uh, this year versus you know broad basket of currencies, uh, and they are dealing with hyperinflation right now. And I think this week they actually just I think increased um, the salaries paid by 50 percent to all the workers because the prices of goods is accelerating at such a rapid pace. Um, obviously, that is a very extreme example, but um, getting in a stagflation, hyperinflation environment is, is a very tough um, position to be put in. Um, and we could see, not to that extreme, but we could see um, it accelerate uh, potentially if, if certain things are put into place. Well, and anyone who was around in the 70s remembers uh, the heavy inflation of the 1970s, and it took the Volcker Fed almost three years of extremely high interest rates. Anyone remembers the 20% money markets in 1980? Uh, those, those rates were designed to choke off uh, the inflation. It also choked off the growth of the economy and we had a very difficult economy in 81 and 82. And anybody remembers John Cougar Mellencamp's song about farmers and how things were really dire and it was a very difficult time. I was in college at the time, so I remember it well. And then we didn't really recover in the economy until 1983 near the end of Reagan's first term. So it was a very difficult time. So if we let this inflation get out of control with more spending and the Fed raises rates and chokes off interest rate, we could see a couple of years like that of really difficult economy. And this growth economy we have not right now will turn sour and go the other way. So let's hope that doesn't happen. So really the most important thing right now is probably to stop the spending and let economic growth demand pull the interest rates up not just caused by the Fed. Let the growth of the economy rise, raise interest rates on the intermediate term and long end. The Fed only controls short rates, but the key to the economy is the midterm rates and the long-term rates. And those need to go up in a demand pull environment, not a, a cost push environment. So um, that's kind of where we are. Now, Chris, the supply constraints have been bad, but maybe not as bad as we thought. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think they definitely, supply constraints, I think, peaked around mid-October. Um, they're, they're still bad, and there certainly are certain sectors, if you will, that, that are much worse than others, but um, they, they definitely have come down. I think, you know, they were up 300%, something crazy mid-October. They're now down. They're up, I think, more in the, they've almost been uh, cut down by a third. They're down about 100% now and decelerating, uh, so it's only getting better, but um, you know, that, that could cause havoc as well. You know, you have a lot of these stores, you have a lot of these uh, manufacturers that are trying to get their goods in the um, consumer's hands. They're producing more and more. It's getting stuck in this bottleneck. If that bottleneck unravel or, you know, becomes a lot smoother, those goods will flood the market. Um, and we could see, you know, quite frankly, the opposite. We could see this inflation drop significantly. Uh, and if we see that happen, plus we see the Fed raise rates, um, that's another way that this, this could go. Um, and that would take maybe a year, I, you know, it would be a more of a long-term, um, longer in the next couple of months, I mean, that that would happen, but uh, that is a possibility. Um, and there's obviously a lot of variables we don't know for sure, but there's a lot um, out there. And, and I think the the, the story of the bottlenecks um, really came up around October and it's really kind of diminished. That's why you haven't seen them quite as much uh, in the news. And I think for the most part, people were able to get their Christmas goods and, and shopping and everything um, 
you know, quite easily. I don't think people had problems. You could probably go right now. And for the most part, unless they're specialty goods, things like that, um, you could probably get what you needed for, for um, family as far as gifts. Well, and many, many uh, gift buyers have started early this year. They estimate that we're um, almost done with all the buying. Usually the last minute buying is a big chunk of it, but much of the buying is already done. Although some people did notice uh, in purchasing online, retail inventories were very light and sometimes goods were not available. But what we found is there's a new group of computer buyers and companies that are buying up inventory on Amazon and Wayfair and other sites and then reselling those goods for higher prices as people panic and go to another site and they find those, those goods are higher than they would have found them on Amazon, for example. And so uh, we did a uh, article about that on the Leadership Matrix blog. If you go to fourstarwealth.com, the Leadership Matrix, uh, we have an article all about that subject up there as well. So it's an interesting time. Uh, now compute the computers and the computer access is causing efficiencies and creating inefficiencies for people because others are getting efficiencies through buying goods on, online and reselling them. So a lot of interesting things going on in the economy. Chris, you know, in the What We See Out, out there segment of our podcast, we'll move on to, uh, you uh, looked at some things in the international sector. Yeah, so a couple uh, interesting things. One we've, been, we've talked about on here is um, you had the China Evergrande Group. Um, so S&P came out they, um, and downgraded their, their debt to double C, which is one of its lowest possible ratings. Um, essentially, it's a speculative rating, if you will. And um, this came after uh, uh, the Evergrande Group officially defaulted on their debt uh, last week. So this will cause, I think, some havoc. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And, and I think this isn't going to be the first one out of China we're going to see. Um, if the government let one property develop, developer in China go under, um, we're going to see more. So uh, that'll definitely have further implications on the uh, global scale. Uh, and then uh, geopolitical tensions we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of geopolitical tensions that are really reminiscent of the Cold War and in some cases World War II uh, rises. Russia is now, uh, obviously Russia has been amassing troops on the Ukrainian border uh, over the last weeks. You've probably seen it in the news, uh, but they just released a red line proposal to NATO, NATO today stipulating what they would need from NATO to, to kind of stand down. Um, and some of what they're asking for really seems very reminiscent of, of a Cold War. Uh, they want the NATO to refrain from mili military activity in Ukraine, Eastern Europe, Southern Caucasus, and Central Asia. And they want them to, uh, to pledge not to deploy missiles close enough to hit Russia. So a lot of fear there uh, that really harkens back to the Cold War. And then they would want the US um, solely to pledge not to set up bases in any former Soviet Union countries or partner with their militaries. So. Uh, Ukraine obviously would would uh, qualify for that, and I know the U.S. is is hopefully looking to reinforce and help them. Uh, but there's a lot of geopolitical tension going on there, and I think even on the backdrop of all this has been um, the gas shortages um, in Europe, and and you, um, Russia has been uh, one of the biggest suppliers to Europe, and we just had um, a pipeline that went through to Germany uh, from. Um, from Russia that, that was transporting gas that was just approved. So um, there's a lot there and, and there, there's a lot of implications it can have not only on commodities, uh, but the finances um, of what happened. So it's something to watch closely uh, if it continues to escalate. Um, I think a lot of it is 
Putin kind of just testing uh, what the global powers will do, what their appetite is, and, and how much they're willing to uh, put whether troops on the ground or just do economic sanctions, things like that. So um, a lot of tension right now, which I think is causing some volatility on top of everything else we've talked about in the market. So um, something to watch, I think, uh, moving forward for sure. Absolutely. Well, Chris, uh, you know, you mentioned the issue of uh, dictators like, you know, like a Putin, you know, putting uh, controls, uh, the making demands that no one get involved with the Ukraine and, and no one, no Central Asia activity, if I remember right, uh, mm -hmm. those issues. And, you know, clearly uh, those are strategies that are similar to other dictators uh, in, in the past, whether it be Mussolini or Hitler. I mean, we've heard these things before. And we hope that it doesn't pretend, uh, you know, as you said, World War II, uh, those kinds of things on the world economy. And then uh, isn't coal up big this year as well, Chris? Yeah. And then uh, other interesting thing is um, it's so coal gener power generation from coal is up. It's up 9% this year. Uh, so in 2021, so far, it's been up 9%. And that's up or after falling in 2019 and 2020. Uh, the total power generated from coal decreased. Uh, this is the first year we've seen it in the last couple of years increase. Um, and the big drivers behind this increase was China and India consume two thirds of the world's coal. So I know I've seen some stories about how China's burning a ton of coal to make sure the electricity is stable for the Olympics in um, the next couple of months that are gonna be coming up. Uh, but they're, they're, they're burning a lot of coal. And it's really interesting because we talk a lot uh, from global warming perspective, um, ESG, things like that. And you really target um, America, you see European powers, you know, things like that. Um, well, then you talk about China and India who are, you know, increasing their coal uh, consumption there and, and generating there. So uh, interesting aspect. I thought it was an interesting thing to note with, um, with kind of what's been in the headlines the last month or two. Well, given that coal is no longer going down and it's actually rising and the fossil fuels are still uh, very strong with prices rising, you know, um, there is a call to have clean energy and we're all for that, of course. Uh, but, you know, some want to do it immediately, like now this year and shut completely shut off coal, completely shut off oil. And that would be catastrophic for the economy. If anybody remembers uh, back in the 70s when uh, oil prices went up sixfold overnight, basically from $3 a barrel to around $17, $18 a barrel in oil. And that'd be the equivalent of oil going from about $70 a barrel now to over $500 a barrel, what that would do to our economy. Well, that's what it did in the 70s, same kind of impact. And so that would send us into a very difficult spiral uh, downward where the oil is restricted so dramatically that prices would explode. And there's no way that other sources of energy could that quickly replace them. So uh, the change to electric and to clean energy uh, needs to be gradual because it's such a dominant part of the economy. But you're, you're, you know, no doubt about it, everybody's for clean energy, uh, but it's got to be gradual. Um, Chris, there are some other interesting Wall Street things, too, I think. Yeah. So um, then I'll kind of wrap up with uh, the forum application Reddit, which I think most people have kind of heard of uh, from Wall Street Bets, most famously. Um, they're looking to IPO. So it's going to be a really interesting gamble, I think. Obviously, Wall Street Bets runs on their website. Uh, so yeah. is this uh, Wall Street Bets going to uh, pump up the IPO for Reddit after uh, it goes public? Uh, so they recently filed a lot of their um, the, the paperwork, preliminary paperwork. So I haven't seen a date yet, but that, that's kind of one of the recent 
uh, tech companies to kind of take a foray into the public markets. And then Harley Davidson, uh, talking from a, a you know electric and um, ESG front, Harley Davidson is looking to spin off uh, electric motorcycle division um, as they kind of attempt to jump into the electric vehicle space. Uh, so we've seen that, um, you know, I think only amplify. I, I feel like electric vehicles now is kind of the dot com. You know, the, yeah. the late 90s, it's, you know, if you're a car company, you have to have an electric vehicle di division because that's the new age. Um, so yeah. it's really interesting to see everyone's kind of trying to migrate in that direction. The new Hummer, electric Hummer is going to be 113,000, isn't that right? Something yeah, that's, like that's crazy. And I think I saw um, today, because it, it was brand new released today, there's going to be some a ridiculous amount of batteries are going to be able to stack in that thing too. So um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely, I think the future, um, but you know, once again, and it's good that they're looking and researching it. I think the efficiencies need to get better. Um, obviously we need to, from a producing electricity standpoint, that needs to get better. And I think we need to have more sustainable, renewable energies before we, you know, fully take the plunge and, and decouple from, uh, fossil fuels. Absolutely. Well, Chris, uh, we're getting to the end here. A couple other additional comments. You know, we talked a lot about capitalism and, and you know the difference between that and other forms of, of economic uh, growth and running an economy. And capitalism you know, provides individual actors with the freedom and liberty to make decisions in the economy and the economic system. And it helps everyone when the individual actors allocate their capital rather than have governments do it. You know, the way communist and social, socialist groups or countries manage growth is they like to acquire, and maybe that's what Putin's thinking about Ukraine. He, he already went into part of Ukraine a little while ago, and and uh, you know socialist, uh, communistic um, governments and, and economies don't grow. So for them to grow, they've got to acquire, just like companies would buy other companies. But um, our system in America has caused an immense internal growth and intense internal growth over the years, created some of the, the largest wealth. Uh, there are more millionaires in America on a relative basis than any other percentage in any other country in the world has ever seen. And so, what, you know, in their case, larger powers, their influence, but that's really only short-term thinking because eventually all those economy, economies that are based on socialism and capital, uh, communism break down. And we're seeing it in China. China attacked IPO companies right after they came public. And, uh, and you know, that's no way to run an economy. Uh, President uh, Putin is meeting with President Biden, or recently did, uh, to talk about, you know, trying to keep him out of Ukraine and putting restrictions on what uh, others can do in Central Asia. Uh, they want to harvest those resources there. They are interested in influence, whether it be an acquisition or just supreme influence. China is building a new base on the east side of Africa. They have one on the west side of Africa now. So they're increasing their influence more and more in Africa. And again, that's just acquire influence and control. So um, we see freedom and capitalism as the way to go over time. And those economies that don't do that, they have to do acquisitions. And we really wish the rest of the world would learn how to run uh, capitalist economies. Anyway, we'll see how that all develops over time. A couple last things, Chris, New York City is uh, instituting a new sweeping VAX mandate on December 27th. Uh, and there are some other VAX mandates have been overturned by the courts. There's not a, a single uh, VAX mandate that has not yet been overturned by courts. So, so if they keep 
putting on vax mandates, uh, that could uh, severely limit growth. It could limit the growth of New York City, but there's a new mayor coming in uh, about six days after that vax mandate. So maybe a lot of the people there who are required to get a vaccine will just ignore the rule and wait for the new mayor. We'll see how that goes. Um, and it won't really help uh, the pandemic. You know, the, the economy, uh, you know, has been gripped by this for a couple of years now, but the new variant is very close to the common cold. A lot of concerns are waning. So hopefully we are coming to the end of the pandemic driven economic uh, issues. Uh, the former CDC director, Robert Redfield had said uh, up until he left in, in early 2020 that the masks had no science and didn't work and distancing didn't, wouldn't work either. Now, no one's talking to him anymore because the current administration wants it done differently, but that's what the previous CDC director uh, had said. So if, you know, we'll see where it goes. If we keep adding more and more restrictions and, and we keep adding mask restriction thing, and things like that, it could affect the economy, but our hope is that it's limited from this point on. So um, Chris, we've had a great podcast today. Um, you know, Chris and I and, and all the members of the Four Star team just came back from a, a fabulous conference in Mexico. We had uh, 28 vendor organizations join us there. We had 35 advisors uh, from Four Star and other affiliated firms. We had a, a fabulous time, learned a lot. Uh, we had our Christmas party down there as well that we all put on Santa hats, thanks to Tucker Dunn uh, and Chris Wannaberg, who acquired the hats and brought them down to Mexico. So we had a great time. and. You know, this is a great holiday season, Chris, and we want everybody to uh, enjoy and, and we want to wish everybody a, a great, happy holiday season. The, uh, some groups have already celebrated the, you know, the uh, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. Now we're coming into the Christian holidays and, uh, and we want to wish everybody a happy holiday season, Chris. Huh? Yeah, happy holidays. Um, probably happy new year, I think, uh, by the time our next podcast comes around. So uh, hopefully... 2022 is we're on to uh, better, bigger, brighter, um, and hopefully a, a good year. Yes, I think 2022 will be a great year for America as we come out of this pandemic, uh, as uh, hopefully we manage our economy uh, well and we continue to be the leading economy in the world. America stands for freedom, liberty, capitalism, and we're the leading economy in the world, the leading country in the world, and we certainly hope that continues. Thank you all for being with us this year on the Four Star Podcast, and we will continue with a new episode in the new year. Thanks for all being here, and we'll see you next year. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns with the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download our free guide on the 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this with anyone you think will also find value and benefit from this. And please follow Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see all the short video clips covering the most valuable moments from today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to tell you everything we're seeing in the financial investment markets. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for the general uh, public and general information purposes only. The information is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and investors should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star 
is an SEC-registered investment advisor, maintains a principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's notice filed or qualifies for a corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Stars registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's Form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. Thank you.